There's a great passage we're going to look at this morning, one that uh, I find uh, very, very informative and really, really cool. Um, the title of my message this morning is The Truth About Relativism. Uh, how many are familiar with that word, relativism? Uh, all right, now I'm really going to put you on the spot. Who can give me just a basic, very basic definition of relativism? Anybody? Sorry? Everything is relative. Everything is relative. Right, right. No absolutes. no absolutes. I like that. Any other? Yeah. As in there is not really? Exactly. Right. Pam said, regarding right and wrong. There really is no right. There really is no wrong. Kind of what's true for you, you know, might not be true for me. So there aren't any absolutes, as Pastor Jim said. Um, and this is really something that's uh, pandemic, isn't it, in our, in our culture today? Uh, I was reading uh, some time ago a book by a guy named Harry Blamirez. Harry Blamirez is an Anglican theologian. Um, He's actually in his late 90s now, still going strong. Uh, but he wrote a book, a very influential book. If you went to seminary or Bible college, you may very well have read it. Um, it's called The Christian Mind, How a Christian Should Think. And in his book, Harry Blumirez says this, and I quote, Ours is an age in which conclusions are arrived at by distributing questionnaires to a cross-section of the population, or by holding a microphone before the lips of casually selected passers-by in the street. And in the sphere of religious and moral thinking, we are rapidly heading for a state of intellectual anarchy in which the difference between truth and falsehood will no longer be recognized. Indeed, it would seem possible that words like true and false will eventually and logically be replaced by words like likable and dislikable. And here's what's shocking. Harry Blumirez wrote that in 1963. Guys, if that was going on in 1963, guess what? It's here with a vengeance at the beginning of the 21st century. And it's nothing new. It's nothing new. This this idea uh, that that truth is really relative uh, is, is as ancient as the scriptures themselves. And I want us to look this morning uh, at a fascinating account in Second Chronicles 18. This is during what's called the divided kingdom in, uh, in Israel's history. Uh, Solomon dies, and when Solomon dies, his son, Rehoboam, uh, becomes king. And Rehoboam does something really stupid uh, in regard to uh, who his appointed advisors are. Uh, if it was a political position today, we'd say he didn't do a good job in selecting his cabinet members, okay? Uh, instead of selecting guys that had some maturity and some insight, uh, he, t- he brought all of his cronies with him, guys that helped him uh, along the way, I guess. And, he, and, and making that foolish decision, uh, he imposed some things on the nation of Israel that caused the nation to fracture, to split. Uh, the two, tr- two tribes stayed in the south, Judah and Benjamin, Okay, and Rehoboam remained king over Judah and Benjamin. And as we go for our purposes today, as we read this account, uh, Judah is the southern kingdom. Then there was the northern kingdom with ten tribes, uh, and they, when they split away, uh, a guy by the name of Jeroboam became the king. Uh, now Judah uh, starts with Rehoboam, and they have a string of kings, most bad, a couple pretty good. And one of the guys we're going to look at this morning, Jehoshaphat, is one of the good ones, one of the better ones. The northern kingdom, beginning with Rehoboam, had a whole string of kings, not one good one in the bunch. 
they seemed to get more and more wicked as time went along. And the guy we're going to be looking at this morning is Ahab, one of the most wicked of all. And see, Ahab doesn't have a benefit that I have, and like a Pastor Jim has, to have a, a good wife to kind of balance us out. Ahab's married to Jezebel. Imagine that. Two of the most wicked people in Scripture, and they're married. How scary is that? The story begins uh, in Second Chronicles 18, and I'm going to begin reading uh, in verse 1. The story goes like this. Now Jehoshaphat had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. And what they're speaking of there is that uh, there was kind of an arranged marriage. Uh, Jehoshaphat's son, Jehoram, marries Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, Athaliah. Okay? So it's kind of a strategic uh, alliance that's created here through marriage. Something not un- uncommon in political realms in ancient times, as you know. Now notice uh, verse 2. Some years later, he, that is Jehoshaphat, went down uh, to see Ahab in Samaria. Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people with him, and urged him to attack remote, remote Gilead. I'll just give you a quick bit of uh, background on this. Remote Gilead is a portion of land that once was held by the northern kingdom, once held uh, by Israel. They lost it in a battle uh, to what the NIV calls the Arameans, which is really the Syrians, okay, or Assyrians. Ahab wants it back, but he's afraid to take on the Assyrians by himself. So it kind of makes me think, you know, he had an agenda all the time in starting this little alliance by marriage. Now notice verse 3. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against remote Gilead? Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. Hey, Ahab, listen, we're kinfolk. We're family. My people are your people. You know, me casa, you casa. You know, we're buddies. We're, we're related. So, of course, we're going to go with you in the war. And, I, and I, the first thing that comes to my mind is, Jehoshaphat, you're a believer. This guy's one of the most wicked people ever. What are you thinking getting mixed up with him? And it, unfortunately, it doesn't get better. But Jehoshaphat does have a godly sense. So look what he says in verse 4. But Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, that is to Ahab, first seek the counsel of the Lord. You know, Ahab, let's not just jump into this. I want to help you, but let's see what the Lord has to say about it. Verse 5. So Ahab brought the other, brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, shall we go to war against remote Gilead or shall I not? Go, they answered. For God will give it into the king's hand. Um, now, again, Ahab's a wicked guy. Started off with Jeroboam, and Jeroboam started worshiping golden calves. He set up the golden uh, calves when, as soon, almost as soon as he came to power. That led to worship of the Canaanite, Canaanite god Baal. Uh, so the truth is, this, the northern kingdom is worshiping a plethora of gods. Yeah, they still worship the Lord, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, but... Just as one of, one among many. One among many. And, and hey, I mean, you know, as far as they're concerned, if one God is good, five is probably great. You know? <laughs> Truth is all relative. Doesn't matter. You know, whatever, whatever turns you on. You know, we just try to get this whole thing going here. Well, 
There is a right and there is a wrong. There is one God and only one God. And Ahab seems to be clueless about that, as a lot of people are in our generation. You know that a lot of people really believe that it doesn't matter. You've heard this. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're what? Sincere, right? Yeah, just as long as you're sincere. You can be sincerely wrong, though, guys. And and that's exactly what's going on here. In in a book that he wrote um, probably back around the turn of the millennium, George Barna, uh, in his book Generation Next, What You Should Know About Today's Youth, says this. He says, 50% of all teenagers and 30% of born-again teenagers agree it doesn't matter what religious faith you follow because all faiths teach similar lessons. How scary is that? How scary is that? And it's only getting worse, guys. It's only getting worse. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, something that our culture really doesn't like. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's pretty exclusive, guys. That's not, there's not much room for slippage in that verse. But Ahab, he honestly doesn't get it. He doesn't get it, and unfortunately, Jehoshaphat's joining in with him. Well, Ahab calls in his prophets, and they basically give the green stamp, the green light. Go for it. You know, you're, you're going to succeed. Now, Jehoshaphat says something very interesting. Look what he says uh, in verse 6. He says, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there no longer a prophet of the Lord here that we can inquire of? You know, Ahab, is great that you've got your cronies here, but aren't there any real prophets around? We probably should talk to a real prophet before we do this. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that Ahab would be offended by a remark like that? But he's not. Look what he says. Look what he says in verse 7. The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, There is still one prophet through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him. Because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. The king's the king should not say such things, Jehoshaphat replied. You know, if this weren't so tragic, it would be comical. Really. Look, he's like a little kid, you know. Yeah, there is one guy, but he never says anything nice about me. He always says the mean stuff. And I hate him. Like, give me a break. Listen. Ahab hates Micaiah for one reason and one reason only. Micaiah tells him the truth. Whether he wants to hear it or not, Micaiah tells him the truth. And Ahab hates him for it. And listen, guys, as a believer, you and I, sometimes you don't have to do anything more than say, hey, this is what I believe, and I don't believe that there's any deviance from that. I don't believe there are many ways to heaven. I believe Jesus Christ is the one and only way, and that's where I am. That's all you've got to make known about yourself sometimes to have people hate you. But hey, that's all right because Jesus said, if the world knows that the world is hated, if it hates you, know that it hated me long before it hated you. So look what happens. Verse 8, the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, bring Micaiah, son of Imla, at once, dressed in their royal robes, the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones at the threshing floor by the entrance of the gate of Samaria with all the prophets prophesying before them. 
That's prophets with a small p. Now Zedekiah, son of Canaanah, had made horns, and he declared, This is what the Lord says. With these you will gore the Arameans until they are destroyed. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth Gilead and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. So, rubber stamp, all 400 of Ahab's small p prophets are telling him, go for it. The, the Lord is going to already given it into your hand. Just, you're going to gore the Arameans to death. Now remember, Ahab has sent a messenger to fetch Micaiah, the only real prophet left in the northern kingdom. And when that messenger gets to Micaiah, look what he says to him in verse 12. The messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, the other prophets without exception are predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. Listen, Micaiah, I know you. Don't tell Ahab the truth. Ahab doesn't want the truth. He wants a green stamp. I I thought of the words of Jack Nicholson in the movie. You can't handle the truth. He can't. He can't. So, Micaiah, listen. I'm going to give you a little advice, the messenger says. Don't tell him what he needs to hear. Tell him what he wants to hear. Just go along. Go with the flow. You know, I've got a friend back in uh, New Jersey. His name is Mike. And um, a lifelong friend, really. We were roommates for the last couple of years that we were single. And uh, I know two things about Mike. Number one, Mike will always love me no matter what I do, no matter how badly I mess up, uh, no matter what becomes of me, I know that Mike will always love me. He's that kind of a friend. He's, he's literally the kind of friend that you get maybe once or twice in a lifetime if you're fortunate. And I know he will always love me. And the second thing I know about Mike because I've experienced it, is Mike will tell me what he's feeling and what he thinks I need to hear, not what I want to hear, even if it's painful. I hope you have a friend like that. Maybe even a couple, if you're lucky. And we're separated by 1,800 miles now, but you know what? We're in touch all the time, all the time. And I treasure his friendship, no matter how far away he is. So Micaiah is being urged by the messenger to just tell Ahab what he wants to hear. And initially, initially, that's what, he, that's what he does. Watch this. Beginning uh, in verse 13. But Micaiah said, as surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. When he arrived, the king asked Micaiah, shall we go to war against remote Gilead or shall I not? Notice the answer. Attack and be victorious, he answered, for they will be given into your hand. The king said to him, verse 15, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Guys, have you noticed that that this passage, I think one of the reasons I love it so much is it's laced with irony, number one. And sarcasm. I grew up loving sarcasm. Sorry, but I just do. And isn't it ironic? I don't know. Now, what was it about Micaiah's voice that 
Ahab knew right off the bat that Micaiah was basically patronizing him, you know? Did, uh, did he speak sarcastically? Attack and be victorious, O king. You know, maybe it was like that, or maybe it was <laughs> attack, be victorious. Whatever it was, and we don't know, we don't know for sure, whatever it was, Ahab picks right up on it. How many times have I told you, don't ever tell me anything but the truth? <laughs> really? Really, Ahab? You don't even want to hear the truth. You can't handle the truth. Finally, Micaiah gives him God's true answer. Verse 16. Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you he never prophesied anything good about me, but only bad? I told you he didn't like me, and I hate him. But Micaiah is speaking truth, and he's not done yet. And I picture him now almost in a locked stare with Ahab. And not even blinking. Verse 18, Micaiah continued, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab, king of Israel, into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this and another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means? The Lord asked. I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of all his prophets, he said. You know what's going on here? Uh, Some people have a problem with it because some people feel like it's God agreeing to a lie. But... Think, think a little bit. Remember what happened in Job chapter 1? When a very similar situation where all the hosts of heaven, including demonic spirits, are gathered before the Lord. And Satan basically asks permission to go and afflict Job. And finally, God grants that permission. Well, this is a very similar situation, I believe personally, that, that this man, Ahab, is so given over to evil that... That God knows that if he allows a demonic spirit, a lying spirit, to entice Ahab, Ahab will take the bait. See, remember Romans chapter 1, guys? It talks about the fact that, that everything about God's existence and God's power is evident just by looking at creation, says Paul in Romans chapter 1. And he says that's why people are without excuse. When they, when they, when they worship other gods, when they, when they engage in sexual immorality of all different, all different kinds, he said they're without excuse, and then he says this, and when they do these things, therefore God gives them over to their wickedness. Three times in Romans 1, he says God gives them over, God gives them over. And guys, that's exactly what's happened to Ahab. He has practiced wickedness for so long, that God, each time we intentionally suppress the truth, Paul says in Romans 1, God gives you over a little more to your insistence on doing evil. That's why even as believers, guys, one of the most disastrous things we can do 
is to intentionally violate our own conscience. To, to, to hold down or suppress things that we know are true and instead embrace something that's false. That's a very disastrous thing to do, spiritually speaking. And Ahab has been doing it for so long that he's completely given over to evil. I don't believe he even recognizes the difference between good and evil anymore. So, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophet, this wicked spirit says. Then he goes on and says, the Lord says, you will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now... The Lord has put a, this is Micaiah speaking again. So now the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouths of these prophets of yours, Ahab, and the Lord has decreed disaster for you. Want to know what I think? I'll tell you the truth. The Lord has decreed disaster for you, Ahab. Verse 23. Then Zedekiah, son of Canaanah, went up and slapped Micaiah in the face. My, my, uh, this, this guy, Zedekiah, uh, is one of the chiefs of Ahab's phony prophets. And he goes up and he slaps Micaiah in the face and he says, which way did the spirit from the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? Uh, the last line of that verse is very difficult in the original language, so... And Pastor Jim will tell you, there's, there's mountains of debate on that one sentence right there. Uh, which way did the Spirit of the Lord go when he went from me to speak to you? But a simple explanation that I like, I'm a simple guy, I like, I like this one. That all, he, all he's basically saying is, Micaiah, I'm the chief among Ahab's prophets. And the Lord, when did the Lord's Spirit take a wrong turn, leave me and start speaking through you? And he slaps him in the face. Basically saying, I'm the guy around here that God speaks through, not you. And takes advantage of this situation. Hey, Micaiah's outnumbered 400 to 1. He's lucky he only got a slap in the face, right? And listen. When you and I, as believers, stand for the truth, sometimes, sometimes we need to stand alone. And sometimes the odds may be drastically against us. Uh, students, we're talking about uh, Sunday school. Students, a lot of college students going back to school in the last few weeks. A lot of high school students uh, starting back or have started back already. You start back early here. Like, seems like middle August. Summer's not, I'm like, summer isn't even over and I'm behind a bus. But listen. Whether you're in college, young people, or whether you're in high school, whatever, you, if you're a believer in Christ, you're going to come up against situations, I guarantee you, at some point or another, where, where you have to make a decision. Am I going to go with the flow? Like the four, like Ahab's 400 prophets? Or am I going to be like Micaiah and stand for what I know is true? Because sometimes you have to take a stand. And sometimes you're going to be alone. And sometimes, just like Micaiah, you may be outnumbered 400 to 1. But you know what? Take comfort in this. If that's you, the God of the universe who created you and me has promised that he will never leave us, never forsake us. And if you stand alone, you will never fail long term. Never. Be willing to do that. Well... It isn't just kids either, high school kids. It's, 
It's us as adults. Where, where do we stand? Where do we get our truth from, our input from? You know, and I don't want to, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade if you're a fan of a particular television show, but it really bothers me. Over the last 10 years, I've had quite a number of people talking about Oprah and saying, I love listening to her. She's a Christian, you know. Really? Not from what I read from her or hear from her. It's troubling how many Christians today have blurred the lines between what's morally right and what's morally wrong. Just some recent decisions by, by the high courts in our country have, have really brought a lot of that to light. I see a lot of Christians, uh, openly professing Christians, who, who think there's nothing wrong with some of the stuff that's happened. Guys, there are some things that are always wrong, some things that are always right. Just going back to Oprah, uh, she had this um, article called Remembering Your Spirit, and she said, and I quote, that she prays to, quote, the force that I call God, unquote. Then she says, and I quote again, I have a contact with the universe, unquote. That Christianity sounds more like Star Wars to me. <laughs> And then she says this in her magazine, I think it's O, it's just called O. In September 2013, she said this, and I quote, Spirituality for me is recognizing that I am connected to the energy of all creation. That I am part of it. That it is always a part of me. Whatever label or word we use to describe it doesn't matter. Unquote. You know, so it doesn't matter if you call God Allah, if you call him Buddha, uh, if you call him Confucius, call him what you want, as long as you're connected to the energy of the universe. What? Guys, as Christians, I hope we're more discerning that we realize this lady is not a Christian. I don't know what she is, but she's not a Christian. And remember this. Remember, here's a, here's a basic tenet. Where do people arrive at the conclusions they arrive at? Remember, a person's theology is usually governed by their morality. A person's theology is usually governed by their morality. What do I mean, what do I mean by that? I mean, God, people usually shape a God or fashion a God who will let them live the way they want to live. I've seen this so many times in, in tragically in a couple of dear friends of mine made tragic life decisions And then I've seen them in the years subsequent to those tragic life decisions, I've seen their whole philosophy, their whole worldview completely shift. Why? Because they want to recreate God into something or someone they can live with. Because they've made some disastrous decisions. So usually people's theology is governed by their morality. Stand for the truth, and you might stand alone, and you might be outnumbered 400 to 1. But listen, remember, when you stand for the truth, the most important person in the universe is on your side. Look at verse 23. The king of Israel then ordered, Take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, This is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. Micaiah doesn't even hesitate. He speaks right up. Micaiah declared, if you ever return safely, the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, mark my words, all you people. Wow. Don't you love his boldness? 
speaking for myself, I feel convicted by his boldness and my lack of it sometimes. If Ahab ever comes back safely, then he was right. Truth is relative. There is no real right and no real wrong. If Ahab ever comes back safely, then one God really is as good as another. If Ahab ever comes back safely, then it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. But guess what, guys? Ahab never comes back safely. Because there is only one God. And there is such a thing as absolute truth. Notice what happens when they go into the battle. Verse 29. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Ahab said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter enter the battle in disguise. Can you see how, as wicked as he is, he's still a little concerned. He he doesn't understand the difference between truth and, and lies anymore. But he's concerned because... What if Micaiah is right? So he's hedging his bet a little bit here. And he says to Jehoshaphat, I'm going to enter the battle in disguise. But you wear your royal robes. So Ahab disguised himself and went into the battle. And it's like I said a couple weeks ago when uh, Pastor Jim and I were talking about this passage. uh, We were just going through it a little bit. He said, boy, Ahab, like... I mean, not Ahab. Jehoshaphat, kind of not the brightest bulb in the bag, is he? <laughs> That's not exactly what he said, but something like that. And I'm like, yeah. It's like he doesn't have the sense that God gave geese. Is he in a trance or what? Like Ahab, I got a, or Ahab says to Jehoshaphat, I got a great idea. Look, I'm going to go in. They usually go for the king, try to kill the king. So I'm going to go into the battle disguised. But you wear your royal robes. And Jehoshaphat amazingly goes, Okay. <laughs> What are you thinking? And I want to really get down on Jehoshaphat. But then I think to myself, Gar, how many stupid things have you done in your life as a believer even? And the answer is countless stupid things. And I'm, maybe that's why I am so thankful for the amazing grace of God. And not just the initial grace that saved me, but the grace that, that tolerates me and continues to tolerate me. So I can't believe Jehoshaphat, but gosh, I've done my share of stupid things. Now notice what happens when they get into the battle. Verse verse 30. Now the king of Aram, that's the king of Assyria, had ordered his chariot commanders, do not fight with anyone, small or great, except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, this is the king of Israel. And Ahab's thinking, get him, yeah, get him. So they turned to attack him. Now notice this. It's like Jehoshaphat snaps out of the trance. But Jehoshaphat cried out, and don't you love these words? And the Lord helped him. Literally, the Lord delivered him. Isn't that awesome? Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. And even as stupidly as Jehoshaphat has behaved, God rescues him, delivers him. He calls on the Lord. It says he cried out, and I'm sure he cried out to the Lord, help me. And the Lord does deliver him. You know, we often think of that being an expression for unbelievers uh, to, to call on the Lord. Uh, 
But the truth is, most of the time in the Bible, it's for believers. When you get in trouble, call on the Lord. That's, that's, that's our first resort, or at least it should be. And the Lord delivered him. God drew them away from him. For when the chariot commanders saw that he was not the king of Israel, they stopped pursuing him. Now notice verse 33. But someone. Who? Someone. Anyone. Doesn't matter which one. Someone drew his bow, this is one of the Assyrians, at random. So basically kind of, here's Assyri- you know the Assyrians on this side, and the Israeli army and Jehoshaphat and Ahab on the other side, and one random, nameless, doesn't matter who, Assyrian soldier draws his bow back and just lets it fly into the crowd of Israeli soldiers. And he hit the king of Israel between the breastplate and the scale of his armor. You know, the breastplate's always one solid piece, and then from there, there are layers because you have to be able to move. And the arrow strikes right where the breastplate, the bottom of it, ends and the layers of scales begin. And Ahab is wounded, mortally so. The king told his chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. Verse 34, all day long the battle raged and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Assyrians until evening. Then at sunset he died. And guys, I wish I could tell you that uh, the concept of relativism uh, especially in the spiritual realm. I wish I could tell you that that died with him, but it didn't. It's thriving today. But I hope as people of the book, that as, as Berean Christians, as Paul says, I hope that as people of the book, we know better. And we know that there is truth and there is falsehood. There are some things that are always right and some things that are always wrong. Listen, I, I don't need to know as I enter the, the, as I like to tell my friends, the fourth quarter of my life, people say, oh, I'm middle-aged now. Middle-aged? I don't think so. It means I'm going to live to be over 100. Uh-uh. Not my family genetics. So I'm, I'm not middle-aged. I'm in the fourth quarter of the game. Okay? I'm starting the fourth quarter, hopefully. And I don't need to know, as my life winds down, that I will never, uh, for example, have happened to me, what just happened to a dear friend of mine recently, uh, who was in his mid-40s with three little kids. I don't need to know Suddenly, I don't need to know that I will never find out that I have stage 3 cancer and and one of the most aggressive kind of cancers there is. And that I'm going to suffer horribly and die a a, a death from cancer. I don't need to know that that's not going to happen. I don't need to know uh, that I'm not going to be killed in some horrible, horrific uh, traffic accident or uh, skiing accident or whatever. What I do need to know is that no matter what happens to me, That the God who loved me and sent his son to die for me, in whom I have placed my trust, will never leave me, will never forsake me. That no matter what kind of hardships life might bring my way, he will hold my hand and deliver me, not just from the afflictions of this life, but, but the ultimate deliverance, guys. The ultimate deliverance is being delivered from this life to eternal life. That's what I need to know, that he'll never, ever let me go. Amen.
Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the example of this, uh, this incredible godly man. Lord, we can identify because we have made, I have made so many stupid mistakes, and I'm thankful for the, not just the initial portion of grace, but the fourth and the fifth and the sixth and the tenth portion of grace, and that you continue to deliver me by your grace. Lord, be with each one and help us to be different people because we came this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.